So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I'm your host today, David Hampton, and uh, my co-host, Nate Larkin, is uh, on a little vacation. He is out in sunny Florida, and uh, it is Rex and I today here in the studio, and uh, we are here in chilly Nashville, pre-Christmas, about uh, 10 days away or so from when this is recorded, and um, I don't know about you all, but the holidays are um, a blend of uh, comfort and joy and uh, grief. Um and that sounds a little weird maybe, but for many of us who may be listening, since we are a recovery podcast, um, I think sometimes we uh, experience this little bit of this little twinge of lack in the holidays uh, after we get sober. And, and, you know, in all of the talk about comfort and joy and celebration and the bright lights and all that goes with uh, celebrating this season, I think that um, we forget that we've given up a relationship, and that relationship is with a substance or a behavior that no longer worked for us, and it can really show up, for me anyway, and and many of my recovery friends uh, at this time of year, because ways that we used to uh, medicate during the holidays that we used to celebrate during the holidays and that we used to grieve during the holidays, uh, just aren't a part of our, our life anymore. And in as much as we have, um, a great, uh, blessing in our recovery and great support systems and great tools with which to cope now that we didn't have before, uh, there is often still a, a, a twinge of loss, um, and so I just would like to encourage everybody that uh, there is comfort and there is joy in the holiday season, even if um, this is your first sober Christmas, so to speak, or sober holiday. Um, it is a time where you can give yourself permission to feel what you need to feel. Um, the culture's telling us we have to experience an awful lot of uh, things right now, and and we really don't. We can just be really honest. We can be totally um, authentic with ourselves and say, you know what, this is where I am today. And um, find your safe friends and seek out your your uh, opportunity to just voice that and let what is real be real. Just surrender to the fact that there is, uh, even at this time of year for many of us, uh, a twinge of recurring grief um, that might come upon us. 
And uh, our guest today is a person who's uh, absolutely uh, experienced the uh, the joy and the grief of losing a coping mechanism, giving up something that wasn't working anymore, and trusting that it would be replaced with something fruitful and meaningful in an integrated life. And that's what we're going to talk about today with our our next guest. And uh, you don't want to miss this. He's a great cr- creative uh, songwriter, personality, um, producer. He's done some really amazing work in um, his early career and in his uh, current time now in his uh, creative work. Um, I don't want to give too much away, so just stay right where you are and uh, join us as we come back and talk about what it means to live the integrated life in recovery. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I'm David Hampton, and I am without my co-host this week, uh, Nate Larkin. Nate is in sunny Florida, where I'm sitting here in 30-degree Nashville, and he is in sunny Florida again. (laughs) But, uh, Nate, we know you're having a great time and an early Christmas with some family members, but we have a great guest in with me today, and um, a guy that I've had the privilege of just recently getting to know, and a singer-songwriter, producer um, of a lot of different kinds of music, um, Mark Bird. And Mark, welcome to the Positive Surprise. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to do this. Well, I'm excited for you to do this. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and with our audience. Um, Some of our audience may know some of your stuff from um, uh, Christian music circles, worship circles, God of Wonders, Mm -hmm. great, great song, and many others. Um, And uh, you certainly, you know, contributed heavily into that world for a long time. For a long time. And and then you've had some shifts and departures into some other exciting things uh, musically and creatively. But there's a lot going on with you personally along the way that I would love to just kind of delve in and talk about if you're up up for it. I think I am. Let's (laughs) let's give it a try. We'll we'll give it a spin. (laughs) You and I have more in common than than probably we want to admit, and uh, here we go. Yeah. Um, You spent a lot of time in the evangelical subculture, but... um, like myself, maybe uh, had some struggles along the way in um, uh, the way of uh, discovering that maybe there was some uh, stuff that was uh, unresolved in your life that you were seeking some other ways to medicate. Yeah, um, I uh, around I, I moved to Nashville in '95 and um, was in a band and had a couple of record deals uh, and. Um, it was kind of like angry young man, twenties music, you know, (laughs) and then, uh, and then around, uh, 99, um, I was thinking about leaving music altogether because I was getting married and, uh, basically, um, went home and started writing this song and came back and God of Wonders happened. And then after that, uh, I got signed to EMI. Oh, well, it was Capital, and then it turned into EMI, and I was a songwriter, a staff songwriter there for 15 years, mm-hmm. produced some records there. Um, 
So uh, I guess about the early 2000s is when I started realizing that I probably have a problem with alcohol. And, mm. you know, let's just be honest, in Christian music, sometimes you can be a lot more of a musician than a Christian. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, <laughs> so there's plenty, you know, plenty of, of, of emphasis on good wine and all of that. And so uh-huh. uh, I medicated through that. And, um, and I'd always felt conflicted to, a, to, a, to an extent of who I am really mm-hmm. and who I project on the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this sense of being an, an imposter and kind of, you know, just flowing into whatever I need to, to be at yeah. that moment. Yeah. Um, and that's not being in the present moment. That's mm-hmm. just being a chameleon, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, whatever is going to cause the least conflict. Um, and I hung around, uh, I, I went into recovery. I, I say recovery. I really just went into a state of abstinence and went to some meetings for about two and a half years and then, uh, went back out and I drank again for another seven years, mm. slowly progressing up. And the last year was really horrible and, yeah. um, came back in around five and a half years ago. And, uh, Decided that uh, about six months into me getting sober that I was going to leave that behind, the, the, the evangelical kind of Christian music subculture mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah, I don't poo-poo on that because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of great people there and I'm glad people still sing some of the songs I wrote. Um, but I just could no longer uh, feel like this imposter in a way. Mm-hmm. I was conflicted in, in what I was believing, starting right. to, or not believing. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in just the fact that I hid so much about the struggles that I was going through. Yeah. Um, and at the end of 2014, um, I didn't resign and left that and have pursued something else as a result of that and, and have been very involved in the recovery community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so as you were kind of hitting the peak years of your addiction, you were still pretty functional. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I always say, you know, I sponsor some guys and, and, uh, a lot of them refer to themselves as high functioning alcoholics. And mm-hmm. I always say, well, that just means you're really good at lying. <laughs> um, exactly. And, uh, and hiding, you yeah. know, and I, and I learned that at an early age because mm-hmm. my mom was, uh, my mom and dad split when I was around 10 years old because mm-hmm. my dad was an Episcopalian. My mom was, was, she found Pentecostalism, charismatic kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, now my dad was Episcopalian, not because he sought the right path. It was, he mm-hmm. owned a liquor store in El Dorado, Arkansas, and the Episcopalians <laughs> were cool with it. So Kept um, him open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, my mom told me that God told her to leave my father at a uh-huh. young age. And so uh, I grew up with just kind of like burning rock and roll records, Mm -hmm. burning comic books. Mm -hmm. And when I found the relief that I needed in smoking dope or drinking, Mm -hmm. that eased this sense of feeling unsafe at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that got put into my brain at an early age that that's what's going to fix you. And it fixes you quick. Yeah. and so I struggled with that throughout my life um, of times where I'm in abstinence and times when I'm not. Um, but somehow I always managed my, myself back into uh, my primary medication, which is alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so when I moved to Nashville and everybody else is drinking, I'm thinking, this is amazing, you know? Yeah. 
And it's really easy to be a musician and uh, believe that you're okay because everybody around you might be drinking some too. Mm -hmm. But the difference is, is that when you go home and they go home, they go to sleep and I keep drinking. Yeah. And that's, that's what I ended up doing was hiding it more and more. I think maybe the thing that also did it is that the first time I was around some of the rooms trying to get sober and I was in abstinence was when, when I really achieved some great things, um, mm -hmm. song getting played in space shuttle missions, you know, yeah. and, um, and I began to separate myself. I never got over that sep being separate from. Mm -hmm. And what I confused recovery with is getting my, my stuff back, you know. Mm -hmm. Outward success made me feel like I must be doing something right. Yeah. And that, that enhanced that terminal sense of uniqueness and difference. And, um, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not like these guys, you know. I haven't burned my life to the ground. I'm not living right. under a bridge. I'm not doing any of that stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm achieving some great things. And all that did was perpetuate the lie that mm -hmm. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you feel, um, I, in my own experience, in a similar way, um, belief system, conflicted belief system, alcoholism, on and on and on, um, that I felt very disintegrated. And so, um, I think I had a feeling as I was getting to my, my worst, um, in my addiction that what I really wanted was to feel integrated, but I really didn't think that all those worlds could play together yeah. and, and make sense, Yes, you know? Um, so how did you come to a place where you realized that my first sponsor said, we're going to put everything on the shelf and some of it's going to make its way back and some of it's not, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I had an addiction, uh, counselor that I saw for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, three times a week and then once a week and then every other week, you know, but over a 12 yeah. year period, I mean, we, Marilyn and I could be married. Yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. could have been. <laughs> um, and it, it just, um, trying to integrate what is true, what is not true about me, mm -hmm. about what I believe, what I experience, how I experience life, what alcohol did and didn't do for me. But how did you come to a place where you began to integrate all, where all these truths could coexist. Yeah, I mean, Richard Rohr says we transcend and include. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, all my life, I've just been transcending and turning my back on everything out of a reaction. Um, the set, there's a set-aside prayer. Mm -hmm. And I began to pray the set-aside prayer. Now, I, I did when I came back in five and a half years ago, uh, God was an intellectual concept that I was done with. Right. Um, and because it's not because I had adolescent anger. It wasn't because, you know, I, I felt God didn't want to have anything to do with me because I'm crappy. It was just basically I just didn't believe anymore, just just on an intellectual level. Mm -hmm. And um, I had all these defenses up. Well, uh, in 2014, in uh, May, I took a trip to Big Sur. My plan was that I was not going to drink for five days before I went because mm -hmm. I was going to do a silent retreat for five or six days. Mm -hmm. And, uh, boy, I had good intentions and <laughs> I showed up at the airport at 7am, hungover, shakes, sweats, 
And um, I'm thinking that uh, I've made a horrible mistake. This is the dumbest thing I've ever thought of mm-hmm. to, to go sit in silence at a monastery um, in a private hermitage. Um, and as I was sitting there, there was this Orthodox priest sitting behind me, and he, uh, this, this guy who was sitting across from me, got up and introduced himself. And he said, hey, I'm so-and-so. Do you remember me? And he said, no. He goes, I used to play these Greek festivals. He was a Greek Orthodox. And uh, he said, I stopped doing that a few years ago. And they got in a conversation, and the priest asked him, like, well, when did you end? And he said, well, the last thing that we did years ago was a Quaker picnic. And I'm thinking, like, oh, there's a Quaker circuit, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I was like, I thought those dudes just sat in silence, you know. um, Anyway, uh, the the priest ended up asking him, said, were you able to attend uh, a service and he said yeah he goes what do you think of it he said I describe it as the most pleasant hour of silence I've ever experienced and then this priest began to talk about the need for silence mm. how our culture has pushed silence out um, how when the church got into bed with the empire these Greek fathers or desert fathers went out to seek silence and they stayed in silence and I'm getting ready to call my wife and lie and say I've got stomach virus. I'm not going on this stupid silent retreat. Mm-hmm. But I'm hearing a lecture on silence sitting there going on behind me. And I decide to get on the plane. I go to Big Sur. Mm-hmm. And the third night in, and I, I'm not going to do anything spiritual. I take a smart recovery book, mm-hmm. which is, you know, and I'm yeah. going to, like, figure out how to do this with my, my brain. Right. Um, third night in, uh, third day in, I do this smart recovery. I'm like, oh, I passed this test. I'm definitely an alcoholic. And the third night I'm sitting there on this edge of this cliff and um, I was so surprised by what happened because I was so convinced that there's, there's nothing here. There's just, there's, I was drinking at the nothingness Mm -hmm. and something happened to where I just broke open and began to weep and Mm. I felt this sense of love and it just took me by surprise. And so for the next two days, I was trying to put this back together, you know, Mm -hmm. drove home, get a connecting flight in Phoenix, sitting there on the plane, Southwest, not reserved seats. And here comes that Orthodox priest and his wife, and they sit behind me on the flight home. I started it in the airport with them behind me, and I ended it with them behind me on the flight home. And I'm not a guy that's like, oh, you know, I got a, I prayed for a parking spot in Walmart at the front, and I got it. You know, I'm not one of those yeah. guys. And, yeah. Um, but something said, pay attention. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely convinced I wasn't going to drink when I got home. Mm-hmm. And that did not happen. But what I'll tell you is I consider that to be my big bang. Mm-hmm. And my universe is still expanding as a result of that. Yeah. It, it led me into going to outpatient. It led me into the rooms again. Um, what I am learning is that recovery is about a journey into wholeness. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's getting done with the compartmentalizations that I've created for my life. Right. Where this is who I am over here and this is who I am over here. And all of that is a protection protection, you know, so that you don't know who I really am. Mm -hmm. I learned to lie so well and hide so well being a church kid Mm -hmm. with drug addiction you know? Yeah. Um, and I carried that through my whole life and it's only been since I went into recovery, really went into recovery. Um, the first time I was around the rooms, I was in a 12 step fellowship, but I didn't work the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. I went in and I listened. Mm -hmm. I thought the 12 steps were spiritual, you know, kind of remedial, kind of like, eh, 
eh, I did all that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never worked the steps. And that's, I think that's the key is working. Mm-hmm. I read, mm-hmm. you know, I thought. Mm-hmm. I did not practice anything. And conceptual. In, yes. And yeah. in those rooms, I got very sick. My alcoholism just stayed the way it was. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't treating it with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I listened to people talk about an experience that I was not having. Mm-hmm. And I felt separate from, once again, what you're talking about, those compartmentalizations, that sense of separation, perpetual separation. And I left out. When I came back in this time after outpatient, I just decided, you know what? I've been in a 12-step fellowship before, and I didn't work the 12 steps. I listened. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot like me saying, hey, I'm a musician. And Mm -hmm. somebody asked me, Really, what do you play? I don't play anything. Do you sing? No, I don't sing. What do you do? <laughs> I go to concerts and I listen to music, uh-huh. but I don't play an instrument. I don't do anything. And that's what I thought recovery was, was going in, experiencing group therapy and listening to people talk about their crappy lives. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not what was happening in the rooms, but that's what I heard because I was still so filled with my false self. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time around, when I really gave myself over to working the steps... The stories I made up about myself, the stories I made up about God, the stories I was taught about God, mm-hmm. all of those things began to crumble. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. But I had a good sponsor. I held his hand through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as a result of that, I'm moving further into a place where my life is less fragmented because I'm less fragmented. Yeah. And I'm not having to hide or pretend as much. I'm uncovering who I really am, Mm -hmm. recovering who I really am. Mm -hmm. I'm not really adding anything to myself except that what's happening is I do the work. It's uncovering this true self of who I actually am. Yeah. And it it has blown my mind how well uh, when I really work the steps, theopraxis instead Mm -hmm. of theology, Mm -hmm. um, it it has just uprooted me Mm -hmm. and has uh, kind of cleared a space enough that I can have room for you now mm-hmm. and I can be a part of you. I can have room for this God. Uh, I can have room for the recovery mm-hmm. and I can have room for my authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the integration, but it takes intentionality. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, it's a very uh, intentional um, thing to, to work steps, to, uh, put yourself in a place where you have to, um, examine what you're really, what you're really saying and what you're really doing. I think a lot of my experience in the past to as well was, um, parroting things, Yes, you know, I mean, I think I learned that, you know, sadly in, in church, that's right. rocks, you know, at the church, but I did really learn how to parrot my ideas and faith and thoughts because there were some that were acceptable and some that weren't and questions were sort of off the table. And, um, and so in recovery, you're sitting here and you're able to say, um, yeah, this is where I'm stuck. This is where I'm struggling. But you hear other people in those rooms admitting the same things, um, saying things that I would have never said out loud, Mm -hmm. uh, early on, Mm -hmm. especially. So, uh, in in integrating all of this and having this experience, which I think is pretty amazing, um, you 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 talked about spending time with a priest out in uh, Big Sur. Actually, it was a priest here. Oh, it was a priest yeah. here. Yeah, I came to a point where uh, I was working the steps and mm-hmm. I was doing a fifth step 
mm-hmm. you know, taking moral inventory and admitting to myself, to God and to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. And I had done uh, the way it's laid out, you know, mm-hmm. had, and, um, when I got done, my sponsor was wise enough to say, uh, I think you need to go see this priest because you have a lot of spiritual abuse in your, in your background. Mm. Um, and you, this is something that I am not familiar with. And I think it would be good for you to go sit with this guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll go do it. Cause I was willing to do it. You told me to stand on my head. I would have done it. Yeah. And I went and I sat down with this priest and I word vomited all over him about mm-hmm. the, yeah, you know, the, the transgressions of religion, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he just sat there and he said, he said, uh, he said, Mark, Mark, I got done. He said, I'm really sorry all that happened to you. But it's time for you to let that shit go. <laughs> and then he got up. He said, may I? And he got up and he went to his bookshelf. He pulled down two books, which is what, what my fellowship works out of. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, Mark, all the spirituality you need right now is this. Because you're like distracted. You're like, Oh, squirrel over here. Mm-hmm. You're seeking out this answer and that answer. You've done therapy. You've done church. You've done atheism. You've done meditation. You've done all of these things, mm-hmm. but you have not been able to stay sober. Mm-hmm. So let's just focus. And then he just made it real simple. He said, uh, did you get sober alone? I said, no. He said, are you an alcoholic? And I said, yes, I am. He said, then that means your thinker's broken and you can't fix yourself with a broken thinker. Mm. He said, can you stay sober alone? I said, no. He said, let me give you some advice. Work the program the way the program says to work it, not the way Mark says to work it. Mm. And excuse my French, Mark, but only you can fuck this up now. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of placed that sack of shit right on your doorstep, didn't he? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know? And it's what I needed to hear. Yeah. I had bullshitted so many therapists and, and, you know, therapy works a lot better when you're sober. Yeah. That's what I found out. Yeah. Um, well, you can remember some of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I have a therapist and, and it's true. It's not an either or proposition right. for me. It's a both and, and that's about taking what's good, you know, and, and all of these things and leaving the rest. I was not ready to do that when I first came in the rooms. The first time I came in, I did take what I wanted and I left the rest. I just took the stuff that wasn't going to work for me and left all the stuff that was going to work for me Uh because I was still thinking with an alcoholic brain and I was choosing, oh, I'll do that, but I won't do that Mm -hmm. because I thought take what you want and leave the rest meant, oh, I get to choose what works for me. Yeah. And uh, that did not work for me this time. Because I realized, boy, I've been negotiating with my addiction all my life. Mm-hmm. And my negotiations has almost always looked like when I'm getting to the point where it's looking like it's really going to go away, that mm-hmm. self-centered fear comes up and I'm like, I'm not taking that step. I'm not doing that. I'm yeah. just taking what I want and I'm leaving the rest. Mm-hmm. And to get over that and to hear the priest say, work the program the way the program says to work it, not the way Mark says to work it, is another way of saying you may think you're too smart for this, but that will kill you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I just began to just give myself <laughs> over to a path, uh, and it's in doing the work mm-hmm. instead of thinking about it and reading about it that my life began to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I have sponsees now and, and uh, I do service work and, and all of those things they say to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm just now stepping back into church, going to an Episcopal church, seeing, mm-hmm. you know, how that's going. Um, yeah, and uh, Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, I have to, I have to uh, be open. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you had, you had said, actually, when you got into, um, uh, when you were dabbling in recovery uh, and it wasn't working, you actually had a, a little bit more success uh, professionally while that was going on. Do you think that perpetuated um, your length of time between your real, your real epiphany, or do you think that was just... No, I think that that totally did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I tell the guys that I sponsor, I say, you know, I, I confuse recovery with getting my shit back, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, exactly. and, and, and that I thought that because all of these things are happening, because here's the deal. I was told, don't be a musician. Mm-hmm. Don't pursue this. Mm-hmm. This is not a smart path for you. Yeah. So basically my whole life, I defied what people told me to do and mm-hmm. it worked out okay for me. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, I have all this outer stuff happening, mm-hmm. and that just continues to tell me that I'm different from, and I'm okay. Yeah. I'm way more okay than you guys are. Yeah. Um, and that kept me from seeing the truth about myself, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the worst things I think that, that could happen to me is that I got, exa- I got what I wanted. Yeah. I finally had a studio in my house. Well, guess what I did? I drank until I blacked out down there. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, mm-hmm. wow. I just always thought that when, I, if I had this, if I had that, you know, it mm-hmm. would fix me. Mm-hmm. I'd be okay. Then when I got it, um, I wasn't okay because mm-hmm. wherever I go, there I am. Yeah, I'm always yeah. in bondage to self. Yeah. Uh, I show up that way. You know. Yeah. Recovery for me has not been anything outside. It's all an inside job. You know, my life did not change on the outside when I started doing the program. Mm -hmm. What changed was me inside. And I was able to sit in that which had always, I felt like, driven me back into drinking Mm -hmm. and actually be okay with these people, places, and things that I have absolutely no control over. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so you've talking about interchange and really completely changing everything everything um then how has that impacted you and your creativity and your art now because you're in a completely different um realm mm-hmm. now as part of the band hammock and i'd love i'd love for you to tell us about that and how that but but i'd love uh besides just hearing about professionally what you're doing i'd love to hear how this integrated self gets to create from a different space than the compartmentalized self who just knew what the public could digest and gave yeah. it to him yeah and i'm that's a, that may be projecting no on no you, no you're, and you're, I'd you're apologize if i did no that, you're but. you're right you're right um i had been doing hammock on the side when i was still in christian music and um and I wanted to somehow end up doing it full time. Um, and I'll tell you that the first record that I made sober was, was and I, I, I don't really work uh, intoxicated. I never have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when I'm working on other people's music, I might, you know, but, but my own, no, 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 I'm going to show up my best <laughs> self, my you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, the first record that I did sober was really scary. Yeah. Um, my wife and I had some things that we had to work out. Mm. 
so being at home was not um, easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could not get the break that I thought I needed to listen to music as a listener and not as someone who's creating it. Mm -hmm. And what used to help me with that is take a couple of shots of Jack Daniels and, ah, now I can listen as as a participant Mm -hmm. instead of someone who's a creator of it. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fear making that first record sober. Um, But there's a lot more clarity uh, hammock tends to make moody, silent, quiet music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the reason that I've moved towards that is because of what I experienced in silence. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Th- Thomas Keating says silence is God's original language. All the rest is just a poor translation. Oh, wow. And, and, and I've grown to believe that. And, and, uh, the mission statement for hammock is, is beauty is timeless. Mm. It's not fad, you mm-hmm. know, Mm-hmm. Make something beautiful mm-hmm. um, for the sake of making it. And my manager, see, because I'm not aware of this quite as much, but my manager who I've had from the beginning of Hammock has said that there's just so much focus and clarity in creating this music that I'm doing that I'm way more present, um, calm, mm-hmm. uh, and open. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I, I really have a sense of, Here's where we need to go. That first record after getting past that was a first. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of firsts when you first get sober. Mm-hmm. And I, when I got past that, um, there was this, just, I don't know, an, an inner confidence that started happening. And I don't mean like an arrogant pride, mm-hmm. but just, hey, Mark, you've been doing this since you moved to Nashville in 95, man. It's okay. And stepping out into hammock full time has ended up being the best decision I've made in the last few years because other than getting sober because it's opened up doors to do some work with uh, Ricky Gervais on his uh, um, series called Afterlife yeah. and uh, some movie scores and I've got to meet some incredible artists who I've always admired that are not in Christian music um, and uh, it kind of affirms for me that when I choose to be who I am mm-hmm. Um, and I try to make authentic choices, which are risky at times. Mm-hmm. Um, the payoff is not necessarily that everything works out. The payoff is that I can go to sleep at night and be okay with who I am. Yeah. I don't feel that inner conflict like I used to. Um, that spiritual pride from being raised in the church, mm-hmm. you know, thinking that you got all the stuff about God figured out because you have all the right theology. Mm-hmm. That will keep you separate from everyone in those rooms if you hang on to that. Yeah. Um, and also for me, I realized that that I had a lot of spiritual bypass in my life mm-hmm. where I used spirituality or the Christian culture mm-hmm. to bypass the work that true spirituality can do in my life mm-hmm. because it looked like I was conforming to it on the outside. Mm-hmm it looked like I was reading the right books or thinking the right thoughts. And so mm-hmm. as a result of that, I was bypassing all the work that it needed to be done. When I took up meditation, the first time I was around the rooms, I can tell you it did some good for me, but mostly it was spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. The thing I want to deal with now is that I don't turn into kind of like a spiritual narcissist, which I, which, you know, my (laughs) spiritual work and my self-help work is all that I think about, Uh you know, to where I'm stuck in just focusing on myself just in a different way. Yeah. Um, And that's why I have to have guys that I sponsor and get out of myself and, 
and do service work, go to a treatment center every Tuesday night to, to talk to people who are there. And mm-hmm. um, that has helped me greatly. That's probably having that and being able to do hammock. Um, uh, I never, ever thought that I would get out of myself that much to be able to, to, to actually help other people who have suffered from what I've suffered from. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, the, I don't want to say irony, but I guess the interesting correlation with hammock and the style of music you guys do is that it very much brings the listener into a place of, um, reflection, or at least it's had that effect on me. Um, it's, you know, because it's, um, it's one of those types of things where it's more of an experience to listen to Mm -hmm. than it is spoon feeding me something, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I, I very much appreciate that about it, but it, it now in knowing your story, hearing your story, that music, um, stylistically and creatively makes a lot more sense to me too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, the amazing thing is that there, there, we got a, a, somebody wrote us and said, my mother, my, my dad died listening to your music. Mm. He we put the headphones on and he was listening to it. And his last words were, it sounds like the ocean. Wow. And I've had people write and say, the first sounds I want my kid to hear is your music. And, Mm. um, there's no, for the most part, it's instrumental. Mm -hmm. And I, I have, I, I think the thing that I did not enjoy was the diminishment of the power of music Mm. and the, uh, kind of the, the elevation of, having a message, Mm -hmm. you know, put these words on top of the music, which is just kind of a a second thought, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because it's all about the propaganda that we need to put out there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and the truth is, is that, you know, music, just music in itself, this, these organized sound waves going into your ears and giving you actually a pain in your chest, a lump in your throat. Yeah. That's spiritual. Yeah, that's what's so beautiful about just making instrumental music, because when I make this music, sometimes I'm thinking about people who have passed on or people Mm who I'm thinking about and caring about and praying for or whatever. And uh, and it resonates, Mm -hmm. you know, it just ends up resonating. Um, I never thought that uh, people have said the same thing that you're saying Mm -hmm. is that it puts them in a reflective mood. It's kind of like. The way I've heard it described is I've been driving the same route to work for the last six years. Mm. I listened to your music on the way to work and I noticed a tree for the first time that I've been missing for the last (laughs) six years. Because like you said, it kind of puts you in a reflective mood. It slows you down. Um, And I think that that's probably the best countercultural message that we can hear right now is slow down. Yeah. We're so flooded with information and busyness. Slow down. You yeah. know, maybe you'll discover who you are. If we could just slow down. Yeah. Oh, that's man. That's that's great advice. I I think it it yeah. Your music gives God a chance to talk back. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. as opposed to me doing all the talking. Yeah. Um, I, I had a priest tell me that uh, people from my background uh, at the time uh, preached to God and call it prayer, and he that's said right. God doesn't get a chance to talk back. Yeah. And I think with um, your music and music like Hammock, God gets a chance to, you know, break through the cracks and experience 
the light and all that stuff. And um, it's very reflective. I, how do people access your music? Uh, they can go to hammockmusic.com. Um, they can go to our Bandcamp page and just type in, go to Bandcamp and type in hammock. Mm-hmm. All our stuff is on Spotify and all the streaming outlets. Uh, just type in hammock. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can follow us on our socials, Twitter, and it's hammock music. So, um, mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. We're readily available. We've been doing it for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll, I'll tell you this, the, the greatest gift that I had since I got sober is, um, my nephew passed away in 2016 mm. and, um, he died of NF2, neurofibromatosis, which is a disease where tumors attack your nerve endings mm. or latch onto your nerves. And um, he was a normal kid for the most, most of his life. And then he got into high school and they started noticing these tumors. And mm-hmm. I, my wife and I don't have kids. And my, my sister has always let me in to be a really good uncle with mm-hmm. her children. And for some reason, you know, Clark, my oldest nephew and I, we just really connected he's like a son and um mm. he had an aneurysm and passed away in his sleep spending the night at somebody's house um as a result of this disease um but i was sober mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my sister called to tell me that he had passed and the feeling that i had was unbelievable and she said will you call everybody and tell them give them the news mm. and i'm about to call his grandmother grandfather mm-hmm. you know and tell him wow and the first thought that i had when i hung up is i need to call my sponsor <laughs> <laughs> and i called him and i screamed and i let everything out because mm-hmm. my pattern is if you're in pain i make your pain my pain mm-hmm. and i make it about me because mm-hmm. that's the way i did i used to drink mm-hmm. at the problems in the world yeah i got all that out and was able to call everybody and tell them that clark had passed away and got to hear their reactions you know mm-hmm. the, those visceral yeah you know shock yeah and i was able to go and be present with my sister and help you know deal with the the funeral Mm -hmm. and um and when i came back uh we were going down a different road to make this music we were making a different kind of record and i just Mm -hmm. decided i can't make that kind of record Mm -hmm. and we made a record called mysterium um dedicated to my nephew and we've just finished our trilogy Mysterium, Universalis, Silencia. Silencia came out about three weeks ago. Mm. It's all centered around me being able to um, make music that's dedicated to the memory of my nephew and dedicated to my sister. Um, had I not been broken open in mm-hmm. Big Sur like I was, yeah, which led me into just getting out of self long enough. I say the inner liar in me was paralyzed just long enough for that moment of clarity to last long enough for me to start doing the work. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I don't know if I would have been able to do that had I not found sobriety and recovery. Um, but it took me being broken Mm -hmm. and I love that broken people are helping broken people Mm -hmm. and it's our brokenness that's helping each other. When I walk into the rooms, I'm not looking for you to teach me something. Yeah. I want, I, want to, I want to be with you because you're broken and I'm broken and we're about to, you know, find some light yeah. out of our brokenness. That's a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah. Um, it is what Richard Rohr calls the spirituality or the path of descent. Mm-hmm. And I relate so much more with that than 
the victory, man, we're going to go out and conquer everything. And, you know, we're going to mark it, park it, blab it, grab it, and name it and claim it, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, what would you say, Mark, to, because I had a conversation with a young worship leader um, on my way in here today on the phone, and um, who's going to come in and, and see me for a very similar story as ours. Um, and he's, you know, the guy in his twenties who's mm. realizing that, you know, um, maybe all that glitters and, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. And, uh, but on top of that, I am, I am doing things to the extent that I don't want to do them anymore and I can't quit. Yeah. Um, what do you What do you say to the guy who's entrenched because his paycheck's attached to his behavior? Yeah. And his um, his compulsions are just as strong as anybody else's. What do you What would you say to him in his first um, foray into this whole journey? Uh, I know a lot of people that are staying in because of vocational necessity. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would say, don't sell yourself short. Don't think that you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and don't pretend like you know what's going. Don't even assume what you think is going to happen mm-hmm. if you give this road a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I found that true faith is just taking the steps mm-hmm. um, and not really knowing where it's going, but yeah. just trusting the process. Um, the fear is so great. You know, it, I was so afraid when I came in. I did not realize that. But to trust the process, not knowing where it's going to go, at that point, what I had to do is I had to trust everybody around me that had done it. Mm-hmm. And I could see that their life had gotten better and different. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I was scared of. How different is my life going to get here? Mm-hmm. Because that's uncomfortable and I don't like change that much. And that's terrifying. But the truth is, is being able to put my faith in, in trusting their process and how it's led their life into different directions. I was able to give myself over to this process and um, let go. I mean, in your 20s, mm-hmm. you're charging the hill. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Yeah. You know, um, but I would say, hey, man, just stop charging the hill. Lay down, wave the white flag. Mm-hmm. Let it go. Mm-hmm. All the stories we made up about ourselves are just stories. Mm-hmm. Start confronting those. Yeah. And and um, the story you made up about being a worship leader, that's a good one to let go. <laughs> yeah. You know, the story that you think everybody's looking at you, you know, because you're important, let that go. Yeah. Best thing I ever found out was I'm not near as important as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and people's uh, perception of you um, or how you handle something is not uh, really your responsibility. Yeah, that's right. And so, man. Well, Mark, this has been a, a real joy to have you today, and I appreciate your honest. And I don't, when I say honest, that's not as opposed to dishonest, <laughs> but I mean, you're candid is Thank probably you. the best choice of words. Uh, uh, just way of sharing your story with us, your experience with us, the integrated life, and, and especially with regard to how it's impacted you creatively, spiritually, your ability to to step back and and let what is real be real in your own life and 
and just live from that place of authenticity that we all want to experience. And I'm uh, still growing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it encourages all of us to know that this is, you know, one more time we get to hear that it's a process and a marathon, not a sprint. That's right. All yeah. that stuff that we say yeah. and that it actually is true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So man, yeah. thanks so much. I appreciate thanks you being for having with us. me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we'll be right back here on the positive sobriety podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Rex, I loved talking with Mark Bird. Um, he absolutely, uh, his life parallels mine in so many ways. And I could relate to so many things that he was saying that he has experienced uh, in both um, uh, his previous career uh, in the Christian music area and also uh, in in the integrated life, uh, just his whole approach to how sobriety impacted him creatively, personally, um, and what it gave him permission to admit to himself and how he got his, um, real healing by just coming to the end of himself. You know, one more story about how we, um, we don't get better till it gets, till it gets worse. You know, <laughs> the irony of all of that. Um, and and so I am just uh, excited that uh, he is where he is today, doing the work he is today, but particularly what he's doing in his recovery with recovering people and how that is so paramount in his own sobriety uh, to be a part of going out and regularly sharing his story, regularly sharing uh, where he is and what was beneficial to him and and how to give people permission to say what is true, let what is real be real, and, um, and to check out his music because his music has taken a big, big turn and... Um, and it just reflects to me uh, the story he told us, exactly what he has experienced with coming to that place of saying, uh, I, I, have to, I have to do what is true for me. So, uh, man, Mark, again, we're so glad and grateful that you stopped by to see us. And um, listeners, uh, if these positive sobriety podcasts are helpful to you and beneficial to you, we would appreciate um, hearing from you, uh, positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. And we would also love for you to share these podcasts with your friends, pass them along and, um, they're, uh, easily accessed and shareable. And, uh, Nate and I always, uh, appreciate hearing, uh, how somebody passed an episode along and it impacted somebody in a particular way. So, uh, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for you in this season of, um, comfort, joy, um, and hope. And, uh, our, our hope is that you just have a very blessed holiday season, uh, from Rex and Nate and myself, and we will look forward to seeing you again here on the positive sobriety podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 